Okay. Okay, then, and welcome to another episode of the Ignite Your Mind podcast. Myself, Sanjay Patel. I hope you guys are doing well, and thank you for listening in. Uh, today, I have a very special guest. I have special guests every week, but this one in particular is uh, coming from uh, another country altogether. So we're going international, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, so warm welcome to Lorraine. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. So we had a quick conversation last week. Um, Lorraine is actually from Bedford in the UK. (laughs) But you're out in, uh, where are you right now? In Las Vegas, so far, far away. So far, so far. How is it out there? It's, um, I mean, it's Vegas. It's crazy (laughs) and it's really hot. It's very, very hot right now. Yeah, I remember going there in September about four years ago, and it was so hot, like almost unbearable heat, which was uh, nice, but not so nice. September is considered our cool-down period, so if you thought it was hot in September, you definitely (laughs) don't want to come during the summertime. Noted, noted. All right, no problem. Um, So, Lorraine, I've asked you to come on, um, so thank you for that, first of all. Um, I really appreciate you spending your time um, with me today. And obviously giving an insight into what the listeners are going to be hearing about you and your story. Um, and the reason why I got Lorraine on is because I actually saw a video you did um, about sort of your journey and a few things you went through. And, you know, um, I, I had to ask you, I had to ask you because you're exactly the reason why I do these podcasts. Um, so without further ado, let's dig straight in. So get in. Lorraine, give me an insight into what it was for Lorraine to grow up as a, as a child, as a kid back in the day. Well, let's see, as you already said that I was in England, I was born in England. Uh, my mother had met my stepfather when I was around uh, three years old. So he was in the United States air force, which is how we ultimately, you know, ended up here in Vegas. And for my mom, it was like a dream come true. It was something as a little mm. girl, she'd always dreamed and imagined and so on and so forth. However, when we got to the United States, that dream was unfortunately more like a nightmare. Um, Unfortunately, there was a lot of domestic violence in the home. Um, We were homeless for a period of time and ultimately my stepfather had ended his life. So it wasn't quite the vision or the dream for my mother. Here she was at this point, a single mother with three children in a country she was completely unfamiliar with away from her entire family. And it was, it was definitely a struggle in the beginning for sure. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a, that's a lot to, to happen. Um, and what a way to, to go into a podcast. I mean, uh, sorry, first of all, sorry for, sorry for hearing that. I mean, it's never a nice thing. That's okay. So tell me about the situation with what was going on um, with your mum then in that, in that time, being a single mum, three kids, like how, how did she cope with it? You know, it was certainly a a battle for my mother. I think that there were times when she was coping and then there were times where um, she was just completely and utterly a mess, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, at that time, you know, put uh, a lot of responsibility on me. She didn't mean to, it wasn't her intention, but she went through her own bouts of depression, especially after my stepfather, who was the love of her life, had ended his life. So she went through a lot of depression and a lot of of her own suicidal type things. And, And with that, unfortunately, it left you know, my mother in hospitals and things like that. And, and I was the oldest child. So I was always left behind, so to speak, to kind of take care of my siblings. So it was really, really rough during that time in our, yeah. in our lives. Thank God 
you know, several years, time heals all things. And my mother's in a much better place, but it was very, very rough for all of us during that time. Yeah. What, what kind of age were you when this was all happening? So he passed away when I was 10 years old. Okay. So you were young. And, yeah. Oh, I was young. Yeah. I was 10 years okay. old. And within, uh, you know, that I would say a three, four year period. So from the time 10 to about 14 years old, my mother was battling with her depression and things like that. So she was in and out of hospitals and we lived in a very, uh, really impoverished, really poor neighborhood. And so the police would come and we would have these uh, child protective agencies that would say they were going to take us away. And the neighbors would say, oh, no, we'll watch the kids. And then, then, then they would leave us with the neighbors and the neighbors would disappear. So at 11 years old or 10 years old, we're at home alone and I would have to try to find ways to feed my sister. So it was, it was really rough during that time. But it taught me a great deal of um, survivorship for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Jesus, that is like, that's, that's literally almost something out like a movie. So you, you were left of your neighbours and then your neighbours went off and did their own thing or whatever. So you're right. basically left alone Absolutely. whilst your mum was in, in and out of hospital and stuff. Um, right. G- give, me, give me an insight into what type of teenager you were, like personality wise. Like, were you confident or were you sh- like a struggling teenager? Or You know, I was a very angry teenager. I think when I had got to about 13, 14 years old, here in the United States, it's high school. So it's the last leg before you go off to a university. Yeah. Um, so I was about 14, I would say. And I just became very, very angry. In middle school, the, the, far, um, the middle section of school, what we call it here, I was very gifted as far as like mathematics and science and stuff. So they wanted to place me in special classes um, that had older kids. And because I was just angry and rebellious, I would fight the school systems and things mm. like that. But it had a lot to do with what I was, what I was dealing with in my, in my home life. Um, mm. And I just didn't understand, didn't have the coping mechanism. And so when my mother started getting healthy and you know, getting better, she wanted to be more parenting and she wanted to tell me what, what to do. And I had this resentment. I was <laughs> angry <Whoa>. that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I've been taking care of everybody and, and, and everything. And now you want to, you know, discipline me or, or tell me what to do. And I just, I was just very, very angry. I was also very angry with my stepfather because I knew, I knew him from the age of six months. We left England when I was about, let's say four or five, but he was father. He was my dad to me. And I was angry and I didn't understand why he had abandoned us. So I was dealing with a lot of emotional uh, conflict inside and not really knowing the outlets. I was very smart. I was very mm. intelligent, but I was incredibly rebellious during that time. Yeah, this is interesting because it sounds like, yeah, you were, you had this like, you had almost like two sides of you. Like one was like the right. smart, intelligent one going out and doing stuff. And then the other one was like complete opposite, like rebel, rebel, like being an Absolutely. angry person. And yeah, it sounds, sounds difficult. Um, There's okay. a lot of conflict inside, emotional yeah. conflict for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. And, and, and your siblings, like, uh, uh, so you're, are you the older one? I'm the oldest, yes. You're the oldest. And so... Mm-hmm. So you had to look after your younger siblings. So if you were 10 right. at that time, how old were they? Uh, so one is six years younger than myself. So she was four at the time. Yeah. And the other one's about uh, 18 months. So Jeez, she's like... about eight or nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. credit where credit's due, Lorraine. <laughs> like, that's not an easy thing to do. And to be able to do that at that, that age, you're learning so many, like, raw life skills. Um, um, well, look, okay. Yeah, so... you don't you don't realize it at the time, you know, no. because you're just surviving. You're just doing what you feel 
you need to do. You don't really yeah. think about it. You're not living a normal childhood, so to speak. You're just surviving. Yeah. So you already learn 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 the art of following your intuition with things like at that age, and yeah, that's an age where you're sure. like a sponge as well. Like you know, you're so susceptible to so many things. And I mean, yeah, fair, fair play. Um, okay, cool. So then, fast forward a little bit. Talk me through sort of your your early adult years. So 16, 17, 18, 19, What was going on for you then? Yeah. So okay, it gets it gets even more colorful. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to strap myself in. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, at some point, um, again, I was really, really good academically. I was just very rebellious. But at some point, I realized I had something that said, you know, this attitude, this anger, this rage that I have is not going to get me anywhere. And so I just kind of wanted uh, something different. And I was just tired of being as angry as I was. And so I started, you know, doing better academically and embracing all of that and, um and of course, by at 15, I should say, I, my, one of my closest friends had been murdered. And I was completely shattered because I was a young, I'm a young girl who already had, was dealing with abandonment issues. And now I have this dear friend of mine and their life was taken from them. And I was completely and utterly just, just shattered. And mm -hmm. so I started to spiral a little bit again. Um, but I, I slowed down very abruptly a year later because by the time I was 16, I was pregnant. And so that was like, okay, life is getting ready to change and it's going to change very rapidly because now it's not about me and my feelings and me being this victim of my life. I'm going to be bringing this human being into the world and I literally have no idea what to do. So by the time I was 17 years old, I was a mom. I left home. I left home uh, when I got pregnant and I went into survival mode yet again, it, but it was a different type of survival because there was this human being that I was loving more than I'd loved anything. And there was an incredible amount of responsibility and fear all put together. And so for me, it was, um, it was time to really get my act together and, um, and take this thing called life head on for my, not for just myself, but for my, for my son. So, yeah. <laughs> bloody hell as we say know, right? in the uk bloody hell <laughs> bloody hell mate oh right <laughs> okay okay let's take a, take a deep breath for the moment so you know what's interesting is that it's the fact that this, this all happened so young right like this the stories i've heard and even some of the guests i've had on had maybe have gone through similar things this always happens to them later in their life like early adult mm. life when you kind of know what you're doing, kind of, but kind of still, still figuring yourself out. But the fact you kind of just got chucked in there at the deep end, it's, 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 it's crazy. It's a crazy story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you have, girl or boy? I had, a, I had a son. Boy, nice. Okay. So you were 16 yeah. when you had your boy. Your first. No, I was 17 when I had Se him. 17 when you had yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and ironically, what, this is really interesting, not that it, really is relevant, but it's very important, interesting for me is that my son was actually born exactly one year later to the date that my friend had been killed. So it was like, mm -hmm. it was a really unique kind of like perspective on life. You know, it was like the year before I was dealing with death and exactly a year later, I'm dealing with life. And it was really this kind of epiphany for me mm -hmm. to say, you know, uh, the lows and high, each one are very, very relevant. And if I didn't have that low at that time in my life, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have appreciated 
the, um, the, the birth of my son, but it was just a whole nother level of appreciation on such a deep level to understand yeah. the, the dynamics of life and how it works that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you ever think at that point, like, did you ever think to yourself or say to yourself, like, I can't do this, I can't do this, or I don't know how to do this, or I don't know what I'm going to do? You know, I, um, no, I couldn't. It, it, there wasn't, there wasn't um, time for me to think like that. There were times that I was afraid for sure. I was afraid most of the time. But it wasn't like um, a job or, or bungee jumping. It was like, this yeah. is a human being and I didn't have a choice. And I feel like even just in most things in life, whether it's, um, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but whether it's, uh, you know, a journey that you want as far as a career change or you're being an entrepreneur, it, often you find yourself that if you make it a must for your life where you don't really feel like you have a choice, it's mm -hmm. amazing how much you'll get done and how much you'll accomplish when it's something you have to do. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree with that. Yeah, children can change everything, right? Um, okay, okay, cool. Right, I feel like we're 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 only at the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So, had your son. Mm -hmm. You were still in Las Vegas, I take it. Yes. Still living there. So, what was early adulthood like then like what were you what were you doing did you have a plan of like what you wanted to do like at that, that age of 17 18 I didn't no I did not have a plan at all however I was still in high school okay so okay there was a graduation period and so in my mind everybody looked at me like I was gonna fail you know well first what? my high school uh-huh. Sorry, I was literally just going to touch on that. Like, sorry, just realizing you're actually still at high school. Like, what, was, the, what was the impact around that? Because obviously you're young, you're a young mum, and you're in high school, and you've got other peers that are the right. same age as you. Like, what was going on there? Like, that'd be really interesting to know. So when I... Now, mind you, I wasn't this promiscuous teenager. I wasn't around with a bunch of boys, what have you. I literally had my first boyfriend and, mm -hmm. and we didn't know what the heck we were doing. So I got pregnant from my, 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 my boyfriend. You're not expecting yeah. anything. Matter of fact, I always had this like chip on my shoulder in high school and the, the boys would say, oh, Lorraine's miss is hard to get because I didn't want any boys talking to me. So getting pregnant was like, no Whoa. way, she's the one that's pregnant. Whoa, so yeah. I was so, I was dealing with some embarrassment and some shame behind that. So I actually withdrew from the school that I was in mm -hmm. and went to a different school where nobody knew me during the time that I was pregnant. I hid my pregnancy. Um, wow. And then once I gave birth to my son, I decided that I was going to go back to my original high school because I really wanted to graduate with my peers. But a lot of people felt like I wasn't going to do it. Matter of fact, I had a teacher and, um, and I remember that we had this big exam and I needed to take this exam, um, in order to graduate. And she told me, uh, you know, if you don't show up for this exam, I'm going to fail you. And it just so happened. It was, it was like around my due date. Mm -hmm. So I literally, I literally give birth to my son and the test was the next day. I checked out of the hospital oh my God. to barely walk because I was going to show this woman that you're not, you're not going to hold me back because there's more purpose to my life now than ever. And mm -hmm. I showed up at that school and took the test and, and, um, and I, and I graduated and I got to walk with my class and I was very, uh, very proud. And my son was there and that's when there was the, the big reveal. Everyone saw like, Oh my God, this woman Whoa. has a baby like when did this happen you know but uh but at that point I didn't really I wasn't really sure exactly what I was gonna do but I knew that I, that I was gonna do something 
and I was going to do something great. I, I, that was one thing I knew for sure. I just didn't know what it was at the time. I mean, first of all, proud moment there, being able to have a baby and still be able to graduate and do all of that and deal with the people was, that are around you like at that age as well. Because I know when... It was very challenging. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy. I mean, fair play though, fair play. Okay, um, so then moving forward. Yeah, so you said you didn't really have a plan. I mean, no, not many 18, 19-year-olds do have a plan. Some 30-year-olds don't even have a plan. Um, right. So, so... Like, I mean, what did you what did you want to do then? Like, I know you had obviously a child, so obviously that was number one. But aside from that, like, what was your what was your plans like then moving forward? Well, I had a desire to go to university. I wanted to go to college. No one in my family had ever had a higher level of education, and so I wanted to uh, change the dynamics of the family. I wanted it to be a different story for my son. I I said if I do this no matter how far I get with this, um, mm -hmm. then it, I'm setting a different pace for, uh, for my son's life. And that's really, really what I want to do. So I enrolled in a, a, local, a local university. It wasn't like a major school, but it was yeah. enough for me. I had experienced a lot of tragic things growing up as far as death and murders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the neighborhood, by default of the neighborhood that I grew up in, um, you know, here in the United States, we love, we love guns. So I saw yes. a lot of gun violence growing up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I decided that I want to be on the other side of that. And I decided to go to college, to become a paramedic, an EMT. So okay. I enrolled, I was working, you know, three jobs at one point to pay for school and to take care of my son. It was, ma it was madness. Okay. It was madness, but I was determined. I was exhausted, yeah. but I was determined. So um, eventually I did become an EMT and I did that job for about 10 years here in Las Vegas. So I've seen a lot oh, of crazy stuff. I mean, I could be a, a, Oh, that could be a talk for another day. The stuff that I've seen in the city. Wow. Um, and then I worked a full-time job um, in a casino. Uh, I started off as like a hotel operator and I, I was getting like different opportunities. And before you knew it, I had really climbed very high in the corporate ladder in the casino world. And I was making, you know, ridiculous amount of money. And I was just like, I can't believe this is my life. It went from one dynamic to another. So complete polar opposites. Talk me oh, about that then. Cause um, I know when we spoke last week, like, and this is this is one thing which I'm really trying to drive in on these podcasts and the guests I have, especially female guests as well. Like the female side of being a businesswoman and, and, and building your career, like the challenges that you have to go through as a female. Can you talk me through that? Oh, yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, initially, when uh, when I got into the career with the casino, it was very much by accident. I was not expecting um to move up so quickly especially as a female and it was you know it's predominantly male industry mm -hmm. um my job was to bring in all of these high rollers these big gamblers that were spending millions of dollars in the casino and it was my job to find out who these people were and get them to come to the casino what um you, what do you call that there's like a nickname for that uh, yes yeah, casino they call it casino host casino host yeah, that's kind of like the nickname. It depends on your title, but, okay. but it's generically called casino host. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of intimidation in the beginning. Uh, there was the perception from, our, from, from some of my male counterparts that, okay, well, she's female. And the only way she's going to earn her business is, you know, TNA, 
you know, like, okay, she's a, a good looking woman and she can bat her eyes. And I really had to prove myself to say, you know, listen, me being an attractive female, I was really young at the time, just because I'm young and, and attractive, I have to work twice as hard. Yeah, I might be able to get a conversation out of one of these gamblers, but I have to work twice as hard to get them to respect me professionally. Mm. And that was really, really difficult. And I, I, and quite often, especially towards the end, there was a lot of burnout with that because I dealt with a lot of sexual harassment and, and just complete and utter disgustingness from some of these people that I was dealing with, you know, but from the players, thank God. Oh yeah. Oh my God. They're like awful. Well, <laughs> some I suppose, of them yeah, awful. When you're in a casino and they're all drunk and they've got loads of money, like they think they've got like everything around them. Like, yeah, I could imagine. It's not even the fact, excuse me, it's not even the fact that they're like uh, in the casino because I was literally traveling the world. I mean, I was going to Dubai and Canada and England even, and just, I was all over the world in their backyard, so to speak, because my job was to build relationships with these people. So I dealt with, uh, no exaggeration, I would deal with sheiks all the way down to, to drug cartel type people where you don't, I mean, I, I didn't know they were cartel, but they were mm. definitely seedy people, yeah. CEOs for major companies, celebrities. So you have all kinds of walks of life that I was literally breaking bread with. And mm. not, I've had some amazing experience with them, but there were some that, you know, they're very powerful people. They mm. have a, a ridiculous amount of money and they really truly feel, I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember, uh, these young men, they were uh, very, very wealthy billionaires. And they were very nice to me, but they were very candid. And they said, you know, Lorraine, when you have the type of money that we have, where you can literally buy anything you want in the world, the only thing you pay for are people. And, and what they told me was that we look at people like everybody has a price tag. And it was just a <laughs> game of chess for them. This is the kind of wealth that these people had, where I it mean, was just a matter of spending money on, on manipulating people. It was crazy. That, that sounds, I mean, I'm massively into all my drug cartel documentaries. That sounds exactly <laughs> what a drug cartel member or whatever boss would say, because they always look at people as money, basically. Everything's got Absolutely. a price. Everything's got a price. Absolutely. And, it's, and it is true it, in their world. And I would see that in my world as, as well. So it was... Um, it was definitely an interesting time in my life, for sure. Oh my god, that was, that must have been dangerous, though. Like, did you know? No, at the I time? never. There are some people. No, I mean, obviously, if I knew that they were, um, you know, had uh, discretionary money that was mm. coming from a bad place, you know, of course, I, I wasn't going to uh, participate in that type of stuff. I wasn't going to get myself arrested, you know, no, it wasn't that serious, but I mean, there were people that had fronts and legitimate businesses. And, and as far as I knew, they were legitimate people. And then all of a sudden you're, you're, you don't oh, hear from them for a while and you find out in the paper that they're incarcerated or, you know, are dead for that matter. And then you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe, you know, this was who they were, but the casino brings all types of yeah. life to, to the, to the atmosphere. So you meet every, every kind of person you really do so how did you battle just going back to being like the female you are and obviously how did you battle with yourself i suppose when you came into these situations where you were getting degraded or you were getting spoken to like shit like how did you how did you feel and how did you deal with it personally you know i think uh, honestly i think a little bit of the street that i grew up in gave me a lot of thick skin 
but I was very clear on who I was in my business. And so mm -hmm. integrity, I used to always say, I can lose my job, but I'll never lose my integrity. So it didn't matter to me how wealthy a person was, mm -hmm. uh, what they were going to bring to the table as far as my end of the business. I mean, I could really want that business and that contract, but it wasn't, it, it was never going to compromise my integrity. And I think also too, that me having worked on an ambulance for so many years uh, and seeing so many people die, there was that, re that reality for me is I don't care if you have this much money or not, you still have one heart, two lungs, if you're lucky, and you're going to die just like I'm going to die. So your money is not going to have an impact on me if you, if you disrespect me. So I had to be yeah. very clear on who I was in business. And, and, and I lost some clients as a result, but I gained a lot more and it made my business that much more successful because I gained a lot of respect in my industry, which a lot of women in my industry, um, unfortunately, they don't, they don't have the respect because they give in to the temptations because they're desperate for the business. I never felt um, mm. a, a level of desperation. So talk me through like someone that might be desperate for the business. Like how would they go about it? And just in case, like, you know, just in case someone's actually listening in there, they might be in that sort of scenario because there's all over the world, there's, there's females like that and women like that. So, I mean, talk me through your, your opinion and your view about that. Well, I mean, for example, as a female, if you are trying to, you know, move up or be relevant, especially in an aggressive environment, a working environment, uh, you know, often there are men who will solicit you. They'll want, you know, favors for things that you're going to do or there's times when men when you know I'll buy you this i'll give you this i'll have give this much money mm. to you in exchange for things and it's and a lot of women feel pressured and they feel obligated to do those things because in one sense they want to be relevant and important and a lot of times they think that that's the only way they can do it mm. yeah and the fear that if i don't then this is what I'm going to lose. And, and, um, and I see that a lot in a lot of different types of business with women because they're not, they're not understanding their worth and they're not taking charge in that. And it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's just that it's, um, there's so many other women that are willing to do it that a lot of women are like, if I don't, yeah. this woman will. And then in turn, I'm going to lose uh, this business or this opportunity. Yeah, and it's thought, it's it's difficult. It can be very very difficult. Yeah, because I, I can imagine it'd be pretty cutthroat, and they feel like they're missing out if they don't do what everyone else is doing. They feel like they're going to miss out, and it's easy to get it's exactly. easy to get in that 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 bubble or that um, snowball effect, you know, when it just keeps coming down. So I fully agree with that. So like, what do you think like needs to change? Like, if you could say from a female and male, um, a male more so perspective, what do you think needs to change from them? to be able to look at females maybe in your industry or what you've done in the past to be not so degrading and not so insulting and not so soliciting and all of that you know that's a difficult question because i find that i've had um both extremes of of male clients and, and male counterparts even even my peers mm -hmm. what i find is that the men that are degrading I don't care how much wealth they have. I don't care how good looking they are. I mean, like I said, I have some that are celebrity. Um, it doesn't matter if they don't have a sense of self. I feel like the more someone really feels grounded and rooted in who they are and feels more secure, yeah. um, they tend to be 
uh, a lot more respectful of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 a lot of times if you, if I get a, a man who's a pig towards me as a woman, he's usually a pig in other aspects of his life as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and for them, especially if they're very narcissistic, they don't see it as an issue because unfortunately, if they have the level of wealth um, that I've seen these guys have, I'm just the one saying no when everybody else says yes. Yeah. So they don't get the, the drawback or they don't get the resistance enough for them to be reflective about their behavior. Mm. And so for me, on the, on, the, on the opposite end of that is that I don't take a lot of it personally. Mm-hmm. You know, I just get that this is who they are and um, too bad for them. You know, I had a really, really valuable client of mine. I mean, this guy was a huge, huge gambler um, and I'd known him for several, several years. And he, you know, he was just every opportunity he had, he was a pig, you know, he would say inappropriate things to me. And finally, one day I said to him, you know, after you know, 15 years, I've known you for 15 years, when am I going to get the respect from you? Mm. you know and he was very vulgar in his response and I said you know what uh I won't ever do business with you again I'm done and so I was and I was just done I just you know it did it wasn't worth it to me anymore to put up with it I mean yeah (laughs) you're a strong person I'll tell you that there's uh when you said about the the narcissistic traits as well I was having a conversation with one of my other podcast guests she was in a really abusive relationship and a really, a really bad narcissistic relationship. Um, and she said one thing, which actually really made sense. She said, every single person will be narcissistic at some point in their life. Right. The problem is that they don't know they are. They're uneducated about what it is they're actually doing at that time. And Joe, what I had to put my hands on, I was like, you know what? Let me think back. There might've been a few comments I've said, <laughs> but not realized I've said it that maybe actually will come across quite narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And it was a really wake up call. I was like, whoa. So now I like always just catch myself before I even say anything that might sound a little bit or even slightly towards being a narcissistic trait or something that a narcissist would say. So. Oh, and listen, yeah. there's a, there is such a broad spectrum, right? It narcissism is, yeah. is, is a very broad spectrum. Even when the coaching other people, uh, and really trying to uh, evaluate what have you, there is a broad spectrum and we all have aspects of narcissism in us. You know, heck, heck look at social media. I mean, I'll post, I'll post selfies, that's narcissistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that when you're dealing with um, people who are incredibly unaware of life, they're unaware of self um, and they lack em- empathy. They, they, they're lacking that little chip. Yep. They become extremely difficult to, um, to, 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 to deal with and to be in relationship with just before the simple fact is everything that they view and experience, they look at that like it's somebody else's issue and not theirs. And it's very hard to treat someone who is not self-aware. Yeah. So on a higher spectrum, it's so crazy, right. but I think we all need a little bit of it. I think we all need a little bit of it in us. I think sometimes we do have to um, be about us. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just that narcissists, the word narcissist has such a negative connotation, Of course, yeah. but I think it just depends where you are on the spectrum. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a big one to do with mental health as well. And I'm, Oh, absolutely. I'm super, super passionate about spreading mental health in a good way. Uh, absolutely. And- Talk me through sort of your side of the mental health side of it. Like what, 
have you what have you been through sort of post uh, adulthood i suppose sort of having having your first son actually since or then like have you been through anything yourself oh absolutely i mean listen if you grew up in a household where you are around depression and that depression goes as far as suicide and attempted suicides mm -hmm. and you see a, you see your parenting you know unfortunately uh, you start to uh, take on some of that mindset and that trait, whether even if it's not a clinical or a, um, a chemical imbalance type situation, mm -hmm. you can be taught to be depressed. And, yeah. and so there were some very dark times in my life where I just literally could not, like did not want to get out of bed and to the world um, at some of those times, it seemed like my life was perfect. Like it seemed like everything was going great. I, I, you know, people would look at me and I had a beautiful home and I had, you know, beautiful vehicles and I had this life that seemed great. My son was thriving and yet I was really dark and suffering inside. Um, and, and it took a lot of work mm -hmm. to really get myself out of those dark places at, at times. Yeah. It, it's, it's exactly that, right? It takes so much work. And people don't sometimes realize that even if they've not had any diagnosed symptoms or anything serious happens to them, it can hit you at any point in your life as well. Oh, yeah. I, I, what, just going back to what you said, I think we unconsciously consume information and things around us, not knowingly. So our subconscious mind will be like, whoa, let's just put this out there right now, un unannounced, you know. So I think it's so right to be self-aware and, 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 and work on it, like work real hard. Probably the hardest thing I, I would say you, you need to work on. Work on it, but also be kind and compassionate to yourself. And I think that that is the biggest thing that I really stress to people is that um, give yourself permission to be down. Give yourself permission to be unhappy sometimes. Give yourself permission to be angry. But when you give yourself permission, don't allow it to be an everyday thing for you. Just say, you know, today I'm mad. Today I'm angry. Today I'm frustrated. Today I'm sad. I'm depressed, whatever it is. And really embrace the energy and the feeling that it gets. But, but tell yourself, but I want to know where, where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. And if I can understand what's triggering this emotion inside of me, then the next thing is what am I willing to do about it uh, today yeah. or the next day? Every day you have to get up and and start over yeah. and that's okay you know what i mean it doesn't matter how big the challenge is it's still the same you have to get up every day you're so right so every right. day um, yeah all right so you've been through this mad journey right <laughs> mad <laughs> mad journey this is like a movie i mean you're some sort of hero surely you should be like, like a like a cape or something on you so you can fly um, i pretend sometimes that trust me i walk around like i have a cape on sometimes i blame you um so Talk to me through the transition from working in the casinos and obviously dealing with the high rollers and doing all of that life to what you're doing now. Yeah, so, um, you know, the casino world for me was a provisional world. It was, at the time, my son was very young. Uh, and I did it for several years, but it was very, very provisional. I mean, listen, it was a lucrative career. And I met some great people. But one, once my son went off to the university, and even more so when he graduated from university, at that point, it was like, okay, that job is done. And I learned the science of money. I understood, okay, I know what it takes to make money. You don't necessarily have to have a job that's paying you X amount of dollars. I'd been around enough wealthy people 
Um, and I listened. I was always a fly on the wall for them. I was always a, a humble student to any information mm -hmm. they could give to me. And so there wasn't this necessary stress of like, okay, now I have to make money to pay these bills. And I became comfortable with minimalizing my life and doing lesser things because the, the work was done, so to speak. And now it was time for me to live more, more of a life on purpose. Mm -hmm. And so that is when um, mm -hmm. I really started focusing on uh, purpose versus provision okay. and having the faith and the belief that, you know, I'm going to do this. And I know there's going to be a rough start and a lot of people won't know who I am. Um, but I trust in what it is that I'm supposed to share. I trust that my life experience, because I've been a student to my life, will allow me to be then a teacher to other people's lives. Mm -hmm. And I've just been kind of on that journey uh, since then. And even when it's not paying me anything, it's so much more rewarding. <laughs> and there's so much more fulfill so much more fulfillment. It gives me that balance that I really um, was yearning for all those years that I was working in the casino you know really truly so it's almost a mad sort of transition right because you're, you're so right like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter about money it's like the the, the thing you're doing the, the impact you're making in someone's life or having that conversation or whatever it might be that in itself just it just beats everything everything you're right doing. and it's, a, it's right. a crazy it's a crazy thing so for Lorraine moving forward through life what is the what is your goal what is your plan like, what, okay, no, no, let me ask What's you. What's my what, vision? What's your mission? <laughs> what is your mission? You know, for me at this stage in my life, number one, I, um, I'm not so fixated on uh, the vision having to be one specific thing. And I think that's something that I, anyone who's listening who feels like they don't know their purpose or do know their purpose is that it's not a static thing that your life is uh, um, ever changing and transitioning. So for me at this point, I, I've accepted that I'm okay with that. But my, my, my greatest mission right now is to really be a servant to people. Mm -hmm. And for me, because that's where my heartstrings are. That's who I always wanted to be was a, a, a someone of servitude because there's an abundance in that. And so for me, the way that I feel that my gift is to serve is to share my story, to help uh, coach people, not counsel, to get people out of their darkness, out of being stuck, and to really show people that uh, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be some grandiose, huge platform that you want for your life, but to that you truly, truly, truly can have a fulfilling life, even if you have good days and bad days. And so I feel like that's the way that's my vision for my life. And that's kind of how I want to serve people uh, for the rest of my life. Amazing. Amazing. I love that. Like when you look back at your life, like obviously after having this conversation as well, and just, and just hearing yourself speak about the things that you've been through and the things that you've done and achieved, like, what would you say you're like most proud of? Oh, hundred percent. My son. Your son. I, yes, because he's the next generation. And one thing that I've learned is that to, create generational wealth is not a monetary thing. Mm. It is a spiritual yeah. thing. It is a mindset thing. It is an interruption of all of those things. And when I look at my son and who he is as a, as a young man, I mean, he's 20, 22 years old now, mm -hmm. um, to see his spirituality, to see his sense of self, to see him with this strength and this wit, there's a, a feeling of, great accomplishment and and saying you know 
who said that a single mom, a teenage mother, a woman who came from domestic violence and poverty, uh, who said that she can't raise a phenomenal human being? Because a lot of people think if you're a statistic of this and this and that, that it's an impossibility and it's a lie. And my son is a demonstration of that because I gave him the seeds. He has uh, put himself in life where those seeds are now flourishing and he's got this beautiful garden. And, um, and I just look at him in just awe because he is that next generation. And I see yeah. that interruption of those negative patterns that were you know, generational for my family for a long time. So for sure, no matter how much money I've made, no matter, you know, the speaking engagements yeah. I've done, all the places I've traveled, nothing is, nothing is in comparison to that. Love that. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, Lorraine, definitely I'm going to brand you as one of my hero podcasters. No, seriously like that. That is like, that is like a movie that feels like that is a movie because going through what you've been through from such an early age, like from such an early age, you haven't just gone through one thing of domestic violence. You haven't just gone through one death. You haven't just gone through one thing. It's just, it's been an accumulation of things. But the fact that what fascinates me about your story is that every single time something's happened, you, you, you've bounced back, you've found it within you somewhere, even being that young at 10 years old, 14 years old, 16 years old, you've still found it somewhere inside of you to actually be like, no, bang, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to change, or I'm going to do something. And that is like, so, so powerful, like the strength that you must have had within you to do that blows me away. You know, I, I will say, and I appreciate that. I think that's that's really sweet for you to say that. But I will say um, again to anyone because I have a story, but everybody has a story. Absolutely, yeah. And I would say, um, if, if if people don't get anything from this, it wasn't like I was this strong ox of a woman that was just um, going through life, just conquering things. It was it was it was a rough road. But I will tell you that every time I've gotten through something, I understood there was something greater than myself. Mm -hmm. And when I surrendered to that and let go of the story, the narrative, what was happening in my life in that moment and saying, no, there's something greater. I didn't know what that greater was, but I had to believe there was something greater than myself. And that's always what kind of pulled me through and kept me going. And so for anybody who has been through things in life and even feels stuck, because I still get stuck to this day, um, just know that there is always going to be, there is something greater than you that'll make you make it worth you pulling through. Yeah. So you're saying it's just that belief to know that there is something there. Is that you just have to it? believe it. Yeah, I, I exactly. Yeah. You have to know if I'm, if I, I, I've said this in another talk that I did, but if I wanted to plan a trip to Disneyland here, you know, us, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to plan the trip if I don't believe that the building and the, the, the place doesn't exist. So knowing that something exists, that a destiny exists, helps me put that plan together. And so you just have to believe that your Disneyland is there. And then you plan the, the road trip or the flight or however you're going to get there. But once you know it's there, mm. you can get there. You just got to plan how. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Lorraine, um, thank you so much for telling oh, your thank story. You. On this has been a pleasure. Podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Um, 
for anyone that's listening to this now and you've got this far and you've got some value out of it or you can you know someone who might be might see value in it please do forward it on to them the message is strong and, and i yeah I, I i fully vouch for that um any last words lorraine just be kind to yourself love yourself in every in any aspect of your life it starts within that moment it's just be kind to yourself love yourself and and be compassionate and forgiving so that way you can get through the day-to-day -day. you'll be fine you'll get through it i promise yeah agreed agreed love that right thank you so much Thank Let's you. keep in touch. When I come to Vegas, I'm going to hit you up. Oh, man, I'll hook you up, man. I got connections out <laughs> here. <laughs> I mean, we can't actually travel there at the moment because we're banned from it. But, you know, when right. it does eventually open up, I'll... Um... Well, I still have my, my European Union passport. So I will... Um, I'll come and visit you. I'll see my family while I'm there, okay. too. <laughs> fine, fine. That sounds good. All right. Well, look, no, I really appreciate your time, Lorraine. Thank you so much. And uh, It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll speak to you soon. Okay, great. See you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Ignite Your Mind podcast. This is a safe place for real talk on discovering powerful stories, talking about mental health, real business journeys, and hearing inspiring stories. Please do subscribe if you are listening to this on Spotify, YouTube, or Apple Podcasts, and leave me a comment. And more importantly, share this with anyone who you think may take value from it. I look forward to seeing you next week. Bye.